Hello, everybody. You're listening to Amplify the Arts, a place for artists and art lovers of all kinds to gather, hear stories, and be inspired to amplify the arts in their own lives. I'm Sarah Dudnitz, a pageant girl, communication specialist, and all-around artsy-fartsy kid, and I am so happy that you're here. Before we dive into it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of your screen right now and share it on your Instagram story, tagging us at Amplify the Arts so that we can thank you and keep in touch with you there. We're rocking and rolling. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Amplify the Arts. Excited to be bringing back a lovely, lovely guest from season one. Um, for a very exciting sort of improvised but it's not because I know you have notes I just don't have notes but it's gonna be fun it's gonna be great I'm so excited Sabrina is um I guess I mean we'll just get right in you are in love with the movie Tangled (laughs) yes and I think I told this story last time but I'm gonna tell it again because it's so great Um, One of my first experiences with you and with Tangled was we were in New Mexico on spring break, freshman year of college, hiking down a mountain. (laughs) And I think you just sort of like we were talking about, I don't know, we were just getting to know each other. And you're like, yeah, Tangled is one of my favorite movies. And I can quote it from beginning to end, (laughs) like word for word without stopping. And I was like, there's no way anyone can do that. But Okay, and then I'm pretty sure you like did, or you got, you know, you got like as I far as you could far. with the allotted time. Yeah, and I was like, oh, she was not I to, kidding. I had to uh, stop because <laughs> Chris is gonna murder me or throw me off the mountain. Oh um. yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sabrina, for people who didn't get to know you in the last episode, what are like the three things people need to know <sighs> about you? Okay. Um. Oh, wow, that is so hard. What what about me? <laughs> um, okay. Let's see here. So I moved to California almost a year ago. Um, which is crazy. It still doesn't feel like it's How has it been I almost know. a year? That's <laughs> so weird. Um, so I moved to California almost a year ago. Um, I right now in my life am pursuing film, particularly in animation. Um, for me that just means just meeting as many people as I can sponging in as much information as I can while I'm here in Los Angeles and then hopefully seeing if I can land a job within animation at some point Um, my life is very flexible right now I kind of don't know what I'm doing or where I'm gonna be day to day but I I kind of enjoy it (laughs) to be honest I feel like it suits you kind of well Um, you're not like a nine to five office yes, job. Yes, exactly. Although the the funny thing about that is, <laughs> storyboarding for animation, well, I'll probably have nine to five hours. <laughs> well, <laughs> but it's a, it's a creative mind. environment still, so that's how I'm like comforting myself. Um, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Anyways, I um, I love the outdoors, um, especially since I came here to LA. I hike so much. I love the mountains, and I love being out there, I love camping, um, let me think, I'm trying to think, like, the big parts of my life. Who um, is who Sabrina? Who is Sabrina? It's stressful. Um, I went to school with Sarah at Grand Valley, um, and just had one of the most incredible, beautiful experiences and community, um, that I've ever had, and, um, you know, Sarah's a part of my life that has been entirely consistent in in every way not only that but just so affirming in um me pursuing my dreams and pursuing what I I think I want to be doing now um I say think because who knows (laughs) what I actually want to be doing but um I think that that aspect of my life is the reason why I'm able to be out here um because I know that I am loved and supported um by people like Sarah um, and just my friends and family back at home. Um, so honestly, I, it was about me, but it was also kind of the three most important things to me, you know, is being here, you know, that, that's kind of probably rank three, um, family and friends back at home, the ones that spur me forward. And then just being out in nature and hiking and all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, that's, I think that's a very good summary of you, of who you are. Um, well, I'm so excited. Well, first, before I go any further, 
I have an announcement that I don't even know if you know. Maybe you saw it when you hopped back on the socials for a second. <laughs> but Amplify the Arts has like a merchandise line. Yes! Did yes! you know that? Did you see oh, that? I saw when your sweater came in. It was so cute. Ah! <laughs> so that's, I have my little button right here. Oh. Isn't it cute? Oh my goodness, it's adorable. It's so small and tiny. Oh, that's like it. one of the things that you would actually wear, you know, out in, in exactly. a public setting. Like, it's not like, oh, I'm a walking billboard. It's like... Exactly. It, I tried to to design the whole arts advocate line as like something like I would wear. Yes. Right. And the cool thing, I don't know, you probably heard this in the video as well. But to everybody else, the cool thing about my Arts Advocate line and the Amplify the Arts line is that all of the proceeds raised are going to help different scholarships and programs and projects that help make the arts accessible to those who need them. So a little fill you in on the first project. So I'm from Midland, Michigan, and there is a place there called Shelter House, um, essentially a homeless shelter. And a lot of their programs are aimed towards adults getting them jobs, getting them on their feet, but it's not uncommon for kids to come through as well. And so when the kids come in, um, what I'm creating, we're calling them creativity kits, and they are essentially just sort of this like starter kit on all things art. So there's journals, there's notebooks, there's coloring books, there's Play-Doh, there's a lot of things that might seem very simple, but um, for kids who are, are going through horrible things that I can never imagine, um, I just know the arts have always been an escape wow. and a safe place for me. And I'm just excited after talking with someone who works at Shelter House to be providing that for them. Um, something that can hopefully just give them a little bit of peace and a little bit of space to explore and, and create something beautiful. And yeah. Wow. So anyway, if anyone wants to purchase, the link will be in the description of this podcast. And you can go check that out and support something that I think is pretty cool. Sarah, so, I'm that's my announcement. <laughs> oh my god, that's the best thing I've ever heard. I actually didn't know about the um, the way that the project was funding different organizations. That yeah. is seriously amazing. And I just know, like you've worked, you volunteered in a hospital yeah. with art therapy, which we talked mm-hmm. about a lot in your last episode as well. So I know that that's something that's it's so good. To it's not just escapism, you know. It's uh, a way to express yourself and a way to heal. Mm-hmm. Which is why, like, kids going through that, oh, my gosh. They're, they're going to love those. It's And parents, too, oh, like, giving their kids stuff to oh, do. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Wow. For sure. My heart is so, so happy. Anyway. Okay, so, Tangled. It's your favorite movie for a lot of reasons. I am just so excited to listen to you do your thing yeah. and talk about it. Where do you want to start? Oh, my gosh. Well, I feel like... I need to, like, give the audience, like, a basis for what I'm about to talk about because... Provide a little context. Yeah, because it's not just in the context of Tangled, but I think the reason that I'm so in love with film and and the reason why um, I was kind of able to make a really easy mental transition between my investment in art therapy and now that I'm kind of pursuing film... Um, the reason I was able to make such an easy mental transition was because there is so much psychology in storytelling. Um, and, and being in film is inherently being a storyteller. Um, the goal of storytelling, ultimately, is to entertain. You, when you tell a story, you want to make people laugh or cry or fall in love with you know a character or a plotline or something like that. Um, And so basically the big question that every filmmaker, every storyteller has to ask themselves is how am I going to entertain this audience? Um, And really, so I just recently um, did a a lovely mentorship course with um, a storyboarder. He's a head of storyboarding at Paramount right now. His name's Rob Rob Porter. Um, he was an amazing mentor. He's an amazing guide, and he's just very passionate about the subject. And one of the things that he said is he thinks that his answer to this question is twofold. How do you entertain people? Well-told stories with characters that the audience cares about. Those are two of the main things. And well-told stories, that's obvious. You know, you want your story to be told well. Um, a lot of that is cinematography, good writing, all that kind of stuff. But what about that second part, the um, characters the audience cares about? 
Um, and that's where psychology comes in. We're, as human beings, we're wired for relationships. And so when you're storytelling, if relationships matter to you in your life, that is what you're going to pinpoint and connect to within a film. And I can't tell you how many films I've seen that, like, they'll have a decent plot line, but they don't really do anything to make you care about the characters. And because of that, they're entirely forgettable. It's not that they're bad. It's not that the writing is bad. The cinematography could have been fantastic and beautiful, and the score could have been awesome. But, you know, I didn't really care too much about the characters. And so it's forgettable. And I think that's what makes a good story a great story, is characters you fall in love with, because it reaches into the deepest part of our human psychology. We, I, I, there's this article on Psychology Today, which is, you know, such a good comprehensive website with a lot of really good trusted uh, names in psychology writing articles. Um, and I'll just read you, um, it's a little bit about the way that social networks affect our health and happiness. Um, and a lot of that is because the support of your friend and family, which is so crazy. I was just talking about you guys supporting me in pursuing my dreams in California. The, the support of our friends and families reduces the impact of stress. Um, there's an innate need for people to connect with other people in order to feel security, in order to feel um, empowerment um, when we're lonely. Um, research shows that the feeling that comes out of you when you're lonely um, is evocative of feelings of emotional loss and pain. Um, And, you know, that looks different for everyone. There are people that need more social connection than others. But the, the grit of it is that we are wired to be in social connection with others. So... That's, you know, that's the, the psychology behind it. And then through creating likable and relatable characters in film, you can get the audience to care about them using psychology. It's, it's, it's really amazing. It's awesome. And I'm sure you've seen movies where you might not remember totally or be able to describe the plot line word for word. But the characters, you remember the characters, and you're obsessed with the characters, and those are—that's what you care about, you know, more or less. Um, I, that's what I experienced when I was watching Lord of the Rings too. You know, it's like the mm-hmm. plot line was very. Um, there, there's a lot there, you know, and there's a lot of like lore, and there's a lot of stuff happening in the world, and it was the relationship between the two best friends. That's what I cared about in the end. I. You know, you kind of care about whether or not, you know, he gets the ring to Mordor. But I cared mostly about him and Sam (laughs) staying friends. And I was like, please, I hope that, you know, the ring doesn't make them not be friends anymore. That was like the biggest part for me. So that's what I connect with. Um, There's so much I could go into this. So I'm just going to do this super briefly. I love the idea of what is a likable and relatable character because their themes... I was just going to ask, like, what is I'm it so that makes glad. people... I'm so glad you are going to ask that because <laughs> I was going to go into it anyways. <laughs> wow. Well, don't hold back. So it's, it's funny because there's themes that we experience in our lives without realizing it. And since starting to study film, I've noticed a lot of these things that I like that I didn't realize I liked. And apparently it's what everybody else likes too. And apparently that's how you make good film. But likable and really, again, this was something that I learned uh, through my mentorship with Rob. Um, but likable and relatable characters, there are themes. Um, flaws, clearly. Nobody mm-hmm. likes a perfect character. Nobody, because we're not perfect. And that's where that projection psychology comes in. You want to be relating to a character. You want to like them. You can't like perfect mm-hmm. characters. They had an issue with that uh, in the first Thor movie. Um, he was almost too perfect. You know, you had to you have to give him some flaws in order to make him a likable character. And I think that they did that well with the movies coming out of that. You know, um, even just 
like making him a little bit funnier instead of just this stiff block like hero guy you know he's the main character but nobody really <laughs> liked him all that much because mm. he was too perfect um so right. that's i was just reading the other day this um article about sort of the same concept but from a social media no. side where when we only post the best parts of our lives on social mm-hmm. media like success sort of like drives this distance really? in between people but once we are vulnerable or we share our failures that like draws us closer together but that's I mean no one really shares like the failures and the bad stuff on social media so that's sort of why it's like we say that we're more connected wow. than ever but we're so much more disconnected than ever I, so that's a whole other thing but that too interesting connection I've heard that phrase is that we're more connected but more disconnected than ever but I never really was able to make that connection between success on social media we're connected to other successes but we're disconnected to the vulnerability of like their humanity mm-hmm. that makes so m- please send me that article <laughs> oh absolutely that sounds so fascinating um yeah yeah so flaws flaws are huge um Another thing we all love and everyone's heard of is the underdog. Everyone loves a good underdog. Mm -hmm. They love a struggle. Um, Another thing is uh, someone having a morality or a code of ethics. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and this, the hot bad guy trope does not count, okay? (laughs) Everybody (laughs) loves a bad guy. I know everyone loves a hot bad guy. We all do. And if you don't admit it, then you're lying but um Mm -hmm. when it comes down to like when it comes down to the actual essence of the character you know if they weren't hot like would you like them and it's the morality and the code of ethics I think that likes them and even honestly we're talking if we're talking hot bad guy there are anti-heroes that you like but they still have a code of ethics it's like the bad guy that cares about his family you know, and that's why you like him. Right. He may be murdering people all over the place, or some, or I guess Breaking Bad's a good example. You know, he's making meth literally, but it's for mm-hmm. his family. It's so that his family can survive after he has passed because of cancer. Mm-hmm. I think it's cancer. Um, so like, he's an anti-hero. You're not supposed to like him, but you like him. You know, and mm-hmm. again, it's that morality code of ethics. If you're writing an anti-hero in film you got to give them a code of ethics. And again, just zooming through these, there's just amazing, Mm -hmm. amazing things you could say about all of these, but just like food for thought on selflessness, classic. Mm. And once again, these are all things that you're like, oh, I knew that, but it was never something that you'd be able to put your finger on. Selflessness. We love self-sacrificial characters. If a character cares too much about themselves, you're kind of like, all right, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to care about them as much. Um, a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Classic. Vital. Vital. <laughs> self, self-depreciation or a willingness to, like, laugh at yourself kind of falls under that category, mm-hmm. too. Um, so, again, it's, you know, selflessness, not being too consumed with the self. Um, another thing is sense of mystery, which is very interesting because it's kind of a double-edged sword. A character that has mystery has good draw. But if they stay mysterious for too long, you lose your audience. So, oh, so you have to kind of balance yes. that. So you, ha- you get pulled in by the mystery, but eventually you need to understand what makes them tick. So that's that's a problem with, with movies that write mysterious characters and then never explain their backstory. Or they never really explain anything about them. And they just remain mysterious the whole time then that character becomes forgettable. This character you once saw that was like, oh, this character's super interesting. I wonder what they're about. You have to eventually find out what they're about. Can't leave Mm -hmm. your audience in the dark for the whole time. Otherwise, it becomes forgettable. So, or a stereotype, you know, or a a trope, you know. And finally, it's resilience, um, which again Mm -hmm. is something that you're like, yeah, this makes sense, but it's never something I was able to put my finger on. When a character gets back up, again and again and again you are rooting for them and again it's because we see ourselves in characters and I think that's the the biggest part about all of this is that humanity sees themselves within these characters and that's the connection the psychological connection between the two there's this and you you know this from theater but the suspension of disbelief you want to create Mm -hmm. you want to make someone forget 
that they're watching something made up. You're mm-hmm. rooting for this person and you want success for them. And a person who is resilient, um, who never gives up no matter how bad things are, they are someone that you want to succeed. And you almost forget that this person, you know, unless it's based on a true story, this person is like not actually this is a written script you know Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so it's it's amazing that's that's so that's basically a breakdown of like there's so much psychology that filmmakers and storytellers use to make people connect and to have that suspension of disbelief that feeling that you are part of it that you are there and that's all our human emotion connecting to the characters so Mm -hmm. I just, I love all of it. It's all amazing. Thanks so much. I love that. And now I'm going to be like looking for that. Yes. No, seriously. And and everything. I I think that now, you know, you're going to watch a TV show or a movie or something like that. And you'll actually be able to identify where something goes wrong. If you don't connect to the characters Mm. very well, you're like, I didn't really connect to this guy. I think it's because he was supposed to be mysterious, but they never really gave him any heart or anything. Or this guy was Mm -hmm. self-centered, but he didn't have a redemption. You know, he never turned that self-centeredness into selflessness. So he's forgettable or, you know, maybe I didn't like him at all. I think, I think it's so, Mm -hmm. it's so cool to like be able to analyze movies in that way now. That is fascinating. And I'm also just sitting here thinking of like, examples where I see those things entangled (laughs) which I'm I'm sure you could also provide a million examples of but I will digress and let you continue oh my gosh well yeah and and I think that's why I wanted to like establish this as a baseline because Mm -hmm. what I'm gonna be talking about with tangled is a very specific psychological um uh, manipulation um that is expressed with Entangled. So I'm not specifically talking about the psychology of storytelling and film in general, but that that contributes to it. You know, you mm-hmm. care about Rapunzel for these reasons. You want her to succeed because she is so flawed and you want her to succeed because she is resilient, you know, and mm-hmm. she is constantly Um, continuing no matter how hard the fight is and all of that good stuff and you know she's had extreme emotional loss and pain and still chooses to be positive um I think that those are things that make you care about whether or not she gets away from the tower and whether or not she discovers who she is um but I think so kind of to transition into that there's this amazing YouTube account called um cinema therapy It is wonderful. And basically, it's a filmmaker and a psychologist who sit side by side and they analyze films together. Um, It is so fun. That's so cool. I will send you the link so you can link the you. And and the reason why I am getting into Tangled and Gaslighting is because I had an idea, but I think that this channel has really, like, pushed my understanding of not just this movie, but how... um, writers utilize storytelling to convey these psychological themes um so he'll analyze he he analyzes so many things like relationships in different movies and it's it's awesome 10 out of 10 would recommend they're very digestible you know he puts it in layman's terms it's not like super neuro psychological like high-end stuff and they're like 15 minutes a pop so it's not like you're watching an hour and a half analysis this type of thing although there are ones out there that I've watched (laughs) because I love this stuff um anyways so (laughs) um Jonathan Decker is the licensed therapist that is kind of working and then there's a filmmaker that's working with him um and he helps kind of break down gaslighting and tangled so I'm going to kind of talk about like his definition and the way that he interprets gaslighting there are a lot of different definitions out there but I really like again I like the layman's terms in which he describes it so Mm -hmm. I'll be taking kind of from him his ideas and then applying knowledge of Tangled my favorite movie ever in the world um (laughs) it's just it's it's incredible so basically if you haven't heard of gaslighting before gaslighting is this concept of making someone question their sanity question their ability to reason and question their own judgment it's really scary because it's really insidious you can't 
it, it takes a while for people to even understand that they are being gaslit. Um, and then you still have that fight of trying to break out of a gaslighting relationship. Um, typical gaslighting techniques are um, denying something when there's proof, projecting onto others, and then also just telling blatant lies. Um, this is a really, really serious topic because a lot of people are being gaslit and they have no idea that they're being gaslit. Um, they're part of these toxic relationships where gaslighting is taking place and they have no idea, which is why Tangled was so important when it came out. Because there are a lot of people that saw this movie and took a step back and were like, wait a minute, that's bad? You know? That's actually something that I wrote down and was going to bring up was, I mean, we talk so much about one of the important functions, if you will, of art mm. is the ability to see ourselves in something. Yes. And I, I mean, I think of all the scenes that I'm sure you're going to um, dive into mm-hmm. with, I don't even know, I don't even know where to start, yeah. but just the ability for someone to see those scenes between Rapunzel and her mother and to say like, oh my gosh, like maybe someone has said something like that yes. to me or, you know, and they get so used to it, but then to be able to see it in this in this context to see that it's wrong is just that like blows my mind and is I think one of the most important functions of art. I love that you connected it back to like the reason why this podcast needed to happen is because Mm -hmm. art in people's lives isn't just um an extracurricular you know what I mean our whole lives we've grown up like you can choose art as an extracurricular if you want but I think what people need to know and what people need to realize is you know even in our generation we're relatively young but we grew up knowing that art was an extracurricular art doesn't have to be there and you see that mm-hmm. too and uh when schools have budget cuts the arts programs are always the first to go mm-hmm. over sports which sports are very important don't get me wrong sports are really good for kids really good psychologically um for kids to play sports but arts programs are always the first to go with budget cuts and i think art has always mm-hmm. been seen as something optional And Mm -hmm. the more we grow into this and the more you talk about this and the more that you bring this to light, I think that we are realizing that art is essential. It's not optional Mm -hmm. um, for these reasons. Is How else would you be able to, without knowing you are experiencing something, see someone else experiencing it and then realize that it's not good and that you need Mm -hmm. help? That's that's what arts do. It's it's incredible. That's what storytelling is for. Yes. Yeah, so absolutely. Good. So um, I never like blatantly said this, but for people who don't know yet, um, Mother Gothel is in this movie. She is gaslighting Rapunzel. Um, mm-hmm. And just like a little fun fact, uh, if you take, <laughs> I feel like, you know, if you ever remember like small facts from a podcast or something like that this is the one that in the movie it like stuck in my brain and I never or never Ooh. forgot it not the movie um uh the video that uh, I'm telling you about with Jonathan oh, Decker the cinema therapy cinema therapy this is like the fact that stuck out to me and like stuck in my brain I'm like this is a useless piece of information but here it is uh, <laughs> gaslighting <laughs> actually comes from like a movie in the 1940s called Gaslight um, so it's named from that movie. And basically the plot of the movie is, it's about a woman whose husband lies to her to get her to move out of the house so that he can move a corpse that he has in his attic. It's really dark. Um, oh. This is the 40s, BT dubs. Um, wow. And so the reason, the way he gets her to move out is he lowers the lights in the house slowly and then tells her that she's crazy when she points it out. So he makes her think that she's insane by... She's questioning her own mind. He's making her question her reality. And I'm going to get into this, but uh, there are... uh, In psychology today, this awesome psychologist, her name is um, Stephanie Sarkis. She defines 11 warning signs of gaslighting. I'm going to get into all of that, and I kind of like brushed over it a little bit there, making you question your own reality and that kind of thing. But um, gaslighting is used by, in extreme cases, cult leaders. 
in extreme cases, dictators, but it's also used by abusive spouses. It's used by family members. It's used by employers and employees. It's used by boyfriends and girlfriends. It's, I mean, I think people think that abusive spouse is like mostly the gaslighting area to focus on, but there are abusive family members um, Mm -hmm. who will utilize gaslighting. Um, employers that utilize gaslighting um, against their employees. So it's like, this could be happening in any aspect of your life. And it's good to know what it is so that you can call it out when you see it and that you know you're not crazy. Because a big portion of it is questioning your reality. So um, basically, Tangled is an amazing and really, really digestible example of gaslighting in film. Mother Gothel's constantly lying to Rapunzel, belittling her, making her feel less than. Um, You know that the gaslighting anthem is Mother Knows Best. You know, that Mm -hmm. whole song is a a gaslighter's anthem. You know, she, and I'll get into that a little bit later, but um, uh, as far as the 11 warning signs of gaslighting, Mother Gothel is actually 11 for 11. So it's a great, this is another thing too, is it's a great teaching tool. You know, mm-hmm. lots of people have seen this, kids, adults, everybody, and they know the plot line of the story. Um, if you don't, um, just like a quick summary, Rapunzel, this is a, a take on the old legend of Rapunzel. Um, it is about, it's a take on that. It's about Mother Gothel who, she discovers a magic flower that can heal sicknesses and make you young again and everything and she hoards it keeps it to herself and then the queen gets sick the queen in this village that's nearby in the village of this you know kingdom nearby um the people of the village find the flower use it to make us make it into a soup have her drink it um and she is healed and she's able to have her baby um she got sick while she was pregnant and the baby, as a result, has magic hair. Um, so now Gothel, she's like, well, that's my new flower, I guess. So she kidnaps the child from the family. This kid, the kid is Rapunzel. And then keeps her locked in a tower so that she can use her hair to keep herself young. Um, and so it's a story, essentially, about this girl. She turns 18. Um, she's in love with these lights that she sees every year on her birthday, which actually are lanterns that the king and queen launch from the um, kingdom to kind of signal her or it's in memory of her um, Mm -hmm. in memory of the lost princess they'll send out hundreds of thousands of lanterns Um, and so she sees them every year on her birthday and she feels like they're meant for her so she wants to go see them but Gothel wants her to stay in the tower so you have this beautiful psychological haunting bad guy song is one of the best villain songs in Disney in my opinion besides I think Be Prepared Um, and Mm -hmm. it is essentially Mother Gothel ripping Rapunzel apart. You're not good enough to be outside. You're ugly. You are not well-dressed. You are too innocent. You're too naive. You don't know what's out there. There's horrible things out there. There's men with pointy teeth. There's the plague. There's, you know, she over-exaggerates these aspects of the outside world to scare Rapunzel, um, belittle her into staying. Um, and we, that is the first glimpse that you see of the way that the relationship is a gaslighting relationship. And look, and what's, what's crazy to me in that song, what always just like gave me chills, even though I couldn't define it as gaslighting is after she says all that stuff, like, (gasps) oh, you could never do that. You're too naive. You're, you could never, you're not capable. She's like, oh, but it's okay. I love you. I'll take (gasps) care of you. Right. It's that dependency that freaks me out and yes. ugh, oh ugh, we're gonna get into that we're gonna get time. into that and actually now that you said ah! that i'm so okay. excited let's just launch into the 11 sorry if time. i jumped the gun no I got no excited. it's great i'm so glad you said that because we're gonna go back to it um cool uh, let's just jump right in to the 11 warning signs so the first sign is them telling blatant lies so we mm-hmm. just talked about that in mother's knows best she men with pointy teeth yes men with pointy teeth <laughs> Um, (laughs) ruffians, thugs, poison ivy, quicksand. Um, so they tell blatant lies. That's the first one. You know, she exaggerates the risks and the dangers of the outside world. Um, in real life, it looks like you know that it's an outright lie. They tell it to you for, uh, you know, with a straight face. They're blatant. They're setting up precedent. When they tell you a really big lie, um, 
they keep you unsteady and off kilter. And that's where you start to question your own reality. Um, the second one is that they deny that they ever said something, even though you have proof. Um, a good example of this entangled is Mother Gothel telling Rapunzel that she can go out when she's smart enough, when she's old enough, mm-hmm. when she's experienced enough, you know, soon but not yet, you know. Right. Um, and then later on, she completely reneges it. She says, you are not leaving this tower ever. So it was a blatant lie that she would be able to leave. Um, so, you know, they said, you know, in real life, you know, they said that they would do something. You know, you heard it, um, but they say they didn't. They come right out and deny it. It makes you start again. You, we're going to hear this again and again and again. Uh, and if like someone is listening that I feel like this is what I want them to remember about gaslighting is that it makes you question your reality. Um, that going back on something that you know they did, you're questioning, oh my gosh, like, is my perception of reality not accurate? Maybe they never actually said that thing. And the more they do it, the more you question reality and the more you start accepting their own version of your reality. Mm-hmm. So, uh, number three is that they use what's near and dear to you as ammunition. Um, basically, mm-hmm. Mother Gothel, as I said before, she just decimates Rapunzel's looks, the way she dresses, her character, her intelligence. Um, and basically, they'll tell you that, oh, oh, you'd be a worthy person if you didn't have this long list of negative traits. They attack mm-hmm. the foundation of your being, you know? It's, it's again, really, really scary. So they're, this type of emotional manipulation is also very deep in... Um, Uh, depreciation you know tearing you apart for the things that you care about and then even later she does that with Rapunzel and Flynn yes yes like he doesn't really care about you and all of that oh my gosh the reprise I think is even honestly so I take back what I said about Mother Knows Best being the best um Disney villain song Mother Knows Best reprise is so evil it's so evil I actually like have the lyrics written down here and I wanted to like go through them with you too because it's actually like it gives me chills um Mm -hmm. and we're also going to get to the whole manipulation with Flynn too because that's one of the 11 um and I I love that I love that you're making these connections because it's actually very like understandable gaslighting Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. all of these things they make sense the problem is identifying you know, it's like when someone makes you question your reality for so long, for Rapunzel, 18 years. You know, she's stuck in that tower being fed, like, this diet of lies and manipulation and all that kind of stuff. Right, and not hearing yes, anything else from the outside exactly. world either. And for a lot yeah. of people, that, that might be the case. It could be a family member. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe this person does have a lot of friends outside of the home. The family is the, the biggest link. So they believe these things because they're isolated. Um, mm-hmm. and You have to depend on that one voice. Yes, and, and yeah. that's another reason why it's so, without even describing why it is, it's so amazing and victorious and makes you feel so happy when she finally chooses to leave, even though her mom doesn't, mm-hmm. or Mother Gothel doesn't want her to. It's like something, you, you know, if you don't know what gaslighting is, you can't describe why you feel so happy she's escaped. And the thing is, she could have, and that's that's what's crazy about the whole movie, too, is they keep saying, well, you could have left. Why didn't you? And Flynn actually asked her that question, and honestly, like, it makes my stomach turn, because that's mm-hmm. the question that I know a lot of people who are being gaslighted get. Well, yes. you could have left yeah. this relationship. Why didn't you? You could have left right. home. <sighs> you could have moved out. Why didn't you? But it, it's because oh, there's insane. so much more there. You know, you don't, you're not even sure what your own reality is. We're going to get to this a little bit later, but you also, you know, a gaslighter will um, make you believe that they are your only source of trust and that they're the only mm-hmm. person you can go through for what is true, you know? So breaking free from that is so difficult. Um, so, yeah, that actually comes to number four is they wear you down over time. Um, this is one of the most insidious things about gaslighting. It's done gradually. You know, it's not immediately like, oh, this person's going to gaslight me right away. Um, a lie here, a lie there, a snide comment every so often. Um, and then it starts ramping up. Um, and what's scary about that is even the most self-aware, brightest 
most intelligent people can be sucked into gaslighting because they it wears you down over time. I don't know if you've ever heard the frog in the frying pan analogy, but yes. yeah, it's like you, if you start turning, it's so dark. I, I always hated it. It really is. <laughs> I always hated but it. But it. it makes, it's a good, it's a good yes. visual. So basically the theory is you put a, fr- a frog in a frying pan and if you sl- turn up the heat slow enough, the frog will fry, like fry to death, but it won't feel In like feel boiling it water. Because it's so slow it'll never realize right like it doesn't know when it's supposed to jump out whereas if you like drop a frog into boiling water it knows to leave immediately 100 percent, exactly so um it's the frog in the frying pan analogy um rapunzel i said this was in the tower for 18 years she heard one perspective mother gothels it's no wonder that when she leaves there's that whole and what what makes you realize that this was done intentionally? This isn't just like, you know, in literature class when you were younger and they're like, this red curtain, probably the author was probably meaning lust and, you know, death that is being, you know, and then, the, you know, you're sitting there questioning, like, did they actually mean that? Like, this is, this is what, how you know that this was done intentionally is because after she leaves, she has a relapse. She mm. questions everything. She's like you know, this is amazing, this is the best day of my life, mother's going to be so furious. This is awesome, I'm never going back, I have to go back. You know, oh, I'm so glad I did this, I never should have done this. You know, it's and that's kind of how you know this was done intentionally because it's no wonder that she, when she leaves, she questions her sanity and she questions her lived reality. <laughs> this reality mm-hmm. she's living in, she's questioning. Um, number five, the actions do not match the words. Um, so this is, this is one that I, that you said before you hit the nail on the freaking head and I love it. Mother Gothel constantly says, I love you. I love you the most. But what she actually means is I love what you are to me. Yeah. She always looks at the hair, right? She always looks at Rapunzel's hair, never at Rapunzel. I love who you are when I can control you. She doesn't love her. But she says she does, and I think that when I was younger, it was, it, it was almost a concept of like, you know, oh, no, she doesn't. That's confusing, like all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. it's, it, it also makes you question if you're not aware of what gaslighting is, or you don't re- realize or recognize that it's happening in the movie. You're kind of like, oh, you know, and this is what bothers me about you know, people who give Mother Gothel, like, slack, like, oh, she did some pretty bad things, but she loves her. Mm-mm. 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 Absolutely not. You're, you're... That's not love. No, that's not love. Exactly. So, um, when you're dealing with a person that gaslights, um, you have to look at what they're doing rather than what they're saying, because what they're saying means nothing. It's all talk. You know? It's, I think that's really important. Um, number six is the scariest one and we're what you to me this is the scariest one um and what you were talking about with the hair that falls so well under this is they throw in positive reinforcement to confuse you this is confusing as heck because the same person that's tearing you down is also building you up you think Mm -hmm. well well maybe they're not that bad yeah they are (laughs) This is the, their positive reinforcement is a calculated attempt to keep you off kilter. Um, Mm -hmm. and again, to question your reality. Um, if you look at what you're being praised for, if it benefits the person, that's, it's possible that might be gaslighting. So the thing that the gaslighter praises you for is what benefits them them the most so you'll see constantly in the movie this is what you're what you're saying and I love this I love this I love this in the movie when she's talking to Rapunzel she's often looking at her hair she's touching her hair you know it's um very clear at the very beginning um uh during mother knows best she's singing about you know oh I love you so much mother loves you so much and as she's doing it she's stroking her hair you know, mm-hmm. and it's clear that she's not talking about it. Um, also, at the very, very beginning, um, during the uh, like introduction, she asks Rapunzel to sing for her, and she says, "Oh, you know, I love it when you sing for me." 
But what she loves about it is because is the singing that activates her hair and, and, and makes Mother Gothel mm-hmm. young. So um, it's what you're being praised for. What is it that you're being praised for? Is it something that benefits the gaslighter? And then, side note, one of my... I love this. It gives me Oh, I think I, I think I might know what you're going to say. You, Wait, go yes, ahead. Yes, you definitely know where I'm going to go with is this. Is it like the counterpart yes! to it later? Yes! Because I was yes! going to say that. Yes! The cutest it's Mother Gothel's foil, which is Flynn Rider. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know what a foil is, a foil is a secondary character in a film that directly opposes another character and both of those characters so a character foil brings out the traits in either one so if I'm talking about a character and I say a foil I just mean that this is the other character in the movie that brings out the positive or negative traits in a different character and usually it's opposite usually it's opposing um so -hmm. in this case Flynn and uh, Mother Gothel are character foils um, because even though Mother Gothel seems like a nice, normal mother, she's actually a villain. And even though Flynn seems like he's the rugged thief, he's actually, you know, a good at heart. Our sweet little boy. Our sweet little boy, Eugene. Sweet little Flynn. He's Eugene. Eugene. Um, <laughs> but, so, the counterpart and the foil to Mother Gothel stroking her hair and touching her hair when she's talking to her and oh my gosh at the very end of mother knows best you're gonna go back and watch this and you'll like have chills up your arm so where she kisses yes she said i love you very much and then kisses the right up on top of her head where her hair is yeah um on the opposite end every time that flynn is really truly trying to see rapunzel he pushes her hair out of her face I love He's that. He's getting to oh. her, not her hair. So mm-hmm. it's it's an awesome detail that they threw in, which also helps me know that they really understood what they were doing. Mother Gothel kissing her hair, and at the very, you know, you can see it very clearly, you know, at, when they're at the campfire, when they're, um, you know, whenever they're having a moment, he pushes her hair away from her face. He doesn't want her hair. That's, he wants her. He's getting to her, not mm-hmm. the hair, which I love. I love it so much. It's so sweet. Bravo, Flynn Rider. Yes, yes. This is kind of, this, this is the kind of, like, emotionally stable and healing romance that, like, makes my heart, like. Which oh. I just also realized that I love now that they gave him the name Eugene, because that's, like, a flaw. Yeah. That's, like, a, <laughs> that's, like, the funny thing was, that they did to, like. perfect, yeah. you know? He's got the perfect face. He's got the swash. We have to give him an embarrassing name. Yes, he's right. a rogue, you know? And he has the name, like, Flynn Rider. It's almost like Prince Charming, you know, that generic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. perfect hero guy. So you gotta, yes. you gotta flaw him. You gotta give him. He, mm-hmm. And so it's funny. He has a kind of weird name. Sorry to all Eugenes out there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're all great. You're Eugene. all great. Um, so then, number seven, they know that confusion weakens people, um, and this is part of the lying that takes place. It's it's gaslighters know that people like having a sense of stability and normalcy, um, so their goal is to uproot you and make you constantly question everything. Um, so when Rapunzel wants to go see the lanterns, Mother Gothel is like, "Oh, you mean the stars." She tries to get Rapunzel to, you know, think that they're not lanterns, they're not lights, they're just stars. And then, you know, she goes back and she's like, no, 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 I've charted stars, these aren't stars, blah, 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 and she's like, I don't want to hear it. Um, So that, plus the Mother Knows Best song, is all meant to confuse her. Rapunzel can't rely on herself for proper perception of reality. Everything goes through Mother Gothel oh, I want to go see the lights. You mean the stars. The only thing that Rapunzel knows, and we talked about this, are the facts of what's inside the tower. Everything else she has to rely on Mother Gothel for. Um, So this seems extreme, but it definitely can happen in real life. Kind of, I think I was talking about a family, maybe you don't have a lot of friends outside of a family situation or family scenario, so you're kind of stuck in the house. Um, This is also something that I'm sure happened a lot during quarantine, unfortunately. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot of relationships that turned into a type of gaslighting, um, which is why 
I think it was really good that they had a really big pull for psychological evaluations after COVID and everything like that. I think everyone should probably get some type of psych eval um, post-COVID. I know we're not out of the woods yet, but it's just good after after quarantine um, to know how you're operating psychologically and how your mm-hmm. relationships are operating. And do you have a gaslighter in your life, you know? Um, Absolutely. So number eight is they project... Um, they are, uh, this is, this is an extreme example, but in real life, um, they're, they're a cheater, but they're constantly accusing you of that. Um, they're Mm -hmm. a drug user, but they're constantly accusing you of that. And it's done so often that you try to defend yourself and you're distracted from the gaslighter's own behavior. So if you're accused of cheating enough, you start to try and defend yourself and then all of a sudden you're not focused on the gaslight or cheating yeah or maybe like if you're accused of cheating then you're thinking like every time you have a conversation with a guy you're like oh my gosh maybe I am just because I talked to Uh, them or again you're questioning your own reality reality and your own behavior and 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 then yeah that takes the attention away from the gaslighter and what they're doing yes and and you're not relying on your own perception of reality too like this isn't cheating talking to another guy is not cheating like I'm friends with him but your gaslighter wants you to believe that it is and your perception of reality goes through them so all of a sudden Mm -hmm. your reality becomes talking to another guy is gaslighting and I am so glad that we are bringing up talking to other people because isolation is a big thing for emotional manipulation and this actually brings us into number nine is that they try to align people against you um So gaslighters are really masters at finding people that they know will stand by them no matter what, and then they use those people against you. Um, They'll make comments like, "Uh, you you know you're not right, or this person knows you're useless too, you know, in an extreme case Mm -hmm. or something like that. And, And what people who are being gaslit have to keep in mind is that these people usually have not said these things. Mm-hmm. Um, a gaslighter mm-hmm. is a constant liar. Um, it makes you feel like you have people that are rearing against you, but really they haven't. Um, so for for Mother Gothel, she doesn't have immediate access to Flynn, um, but she recruits others to try and make it seem like Flynn is against her. This whole mm-hmm. plot is her extremifying, I don't even know if that's a word, her gaslighting technique. Like, it's all connected in that. It's all the same thing. She just knows that her current methods weren't working, and she's like, I have to reinforce what I taught Rapunzel somehow. So she turns Flynn against her. We know that she doesn't actually do this, and for those who don't know, she kind of sets up this fake scenario where Flynn runs off with the crown, um, which basically would prove what Mother Gothel had warned her about and that she was right all along, that you can't trust people, ruffians, thugs, all of these people, you know, you can't trust them, blah, blah, blah. Um, she says... Also that Rapunzel's not capable yes, of... Yes, and It confirms and that, she, yeah. It's, Rapunzel's not capable of telling when people are good or bad or when people have her best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, for those who haven't seen the movie, what she does is she has two thugs who have bad history with Flynn Rider, kind of like, like, they grab him, they knock him out, and they tie him to the post of the mast of a ship. Position his hands in a way that it looks like they're on the wheel of the ship, and then put a crown, you know, it put this crown in. Basically, Rapunzel has this crown, which is a memoir of her old life, um, that she, that Flynn stole from the castle. He's been carrying this crown along for a really long time, and the way that Mother Gothel gaslights Rapunzel um, into trying to make Flynn seem like he's against her is by saying, oh, well, you know, he doesn't really want you. He wants the crown. And I I forgot to say this. I keep... I'm sorry. This is an all-over-the-place explanation because most of the people that I've met have, like, seen this movie, so I'm trying to, like, describe it for people who haven't. Also, if you haven't seen the movie and you're still listening to this, like, thank you. <laughs> this is kind but, of like, amazing. Click pause yeah. now, go Hit watch pause, it, go and watch go back. it. But like, thank you for sticking with it for so long. Anyways, <laughs> so um, Flynn steals the crown 
runs away from the castle. In the meantime, he kind of blows off these two thugs that had helped him steal the crown, so they're out for revenge. Um, he finds Rapunzel's tower, climbs it thinking it's a safe haven, meets Rapunzel. She knocks him out, he comes to, the crown's gone. She's hidden it. Basically, her in exchange for him being a guide for her, because she thinks this, the world is really dangerous, to go see the lights, um, she will give him back the crown. So there's like an exchange happening there. Um, what he doesn't know is that she brings the crown along with her the whole time just to make sure that it's like secure and everything again she doesn't know this is her crown he doesn't know she's a lost princess none of this is happening so Mm -hmm. um basically she's been carrying the crown along with her the whole time mother gothel finds her eventually and was like hey just so you know you know i'm i'm ashamed of you for leaving you can continue on this stupid quest this is mother knows best recries but you know he's just using you, right? You know, he doesn't actually like you. He just wants the crown. And so she places that seed of doubt in Rapunzel's mind. And then to put the nail in the coffin, she has the thugs, you know, um, knock him out, tie him to the mast, put a crown, you know, put the crown in his hand, you know, and then sail a ship away. And she makes sure that Rapunzel is looking. This Again, this is all through the thugs. She has no idea that Mother Gothel is involved in this whatsoever. But the thugs, you know, point out that he has run away. She sees him sailing away. She doesn't know that he's tied to the mast or knocked out or anything like that. She believes that he has abandoned her and stolen the crown. This is after, like, a really big moment you know, where they're out on the water, they almost kiss, you know, she lives her dream of seeing the lights and everything like that. And now her worst fears and what Mother Gothel has put in her head, that seed of doubt is coming to reality. And one of the most heartbreaking parts of this film, um, you know, after she sees Flynn sailing away, she runs into the open arms of Mother Gothel. You know, Mother Gothel, she, you know, takes a log and she knocks both of the thugs out pretending like she's saving Rapunzel. She, so Rapunzel runs into her open arms. Mother Gothel says, uh, or she says, you were right about everything. And Mother Gothel says, I know. And in that moment, she has gone back to her gaslighter. You know, she's won in that moment. Um, and one of the reasons this scene is so chilling is because Mother Gothel takes her light and leads Rapunzel back into the forest from the shore where Rapunzel and Flynn had just had their moment. And the light she's leading her by isn't a warm light. You know, it's a sickly green light. And, and, you know, that's symbolic in its own way that Mother Gothel is not giving Rapunzel real light. You know, she's giving Rapunzel this sickly, unsustainable, unlivable, you know, shallow green light. And it's really scary and really sad. Um, So... That's, like, the idea of, like, aligning people against you. And if they can't mm-hmm. actually align someone against you, they will go through, you know, methods to make sure that you believe that this person is against you. Mm-hmm. Um, number ten, there's just two more. Um, gaslighters will tell you or others that you're crazy. Um, this is, like, the most one of the most effective tools of gaslighting because it's dismissive. Um, the gaslighter knows that if you, if they question your sanity, people won't believe when you tell them that the gaslighter is abusive or out of control. Um, so like telling others that you're crazy and then all of a sudden, like you're saying like, oh, this person's gaslighting me. And they're like, well, this other person just said you were crazy. So, Mm -hmm. um, that's, you know, really scary. It's honestly a master technique, um, in real life that looks like, oh, so-and-so said this about you, and let, let me show you this text. Um, and a, a gaslighter uh, making you, telling you that others think you're crazy or telling you that you're crazy, they make you think that no one is on your side but them. Um, so I have the lyrics to Mother's Most Best Free Prize, and you'll hear it in the film if you watch it. You'll hear it in the soundtrack. But basically, it starts out, Rapunzel goes, I think he likes me. And immediately, Mother Gothel's like, likes you? Please, Rapunzel, that's demented. This Mm -hmm. is why you never should have left. 
And then she and then she talks about, oh, you're crazy. Dear, this whole romance that you've invented just proves you're too naive to be here. And then she goes into um, debilitation, um, making her feel bad about herself again. Why would he like you? Come on now, really. Look at you. You think that he's impressed. Don't be a dummy. Come with mommy. Mother knows best. And then Rapunzel. Oh. But this is the part where she fights back and why the reprise mm-hmm, is so good. Mm-hmm. She goes, no. And this is the first time you've ever seen Rapunzel fight back. And it's really, really bad because then this is the part where the music becomes really, really scary and really intense because now she's bringing the big guns out. She says, and then it's a play on the chorus, which is so good. She says, oh, I see how it is. Rapunzel knows best. Rapunzel's so mature now. Um, And then later on she says, fine, if you're so sure, go ahead and give him the crown. You know, give him the crown. See mm. how he reacts. I won't say I told you so, but don't come running, you know, if he leaves you for the crown. And then she's pl- and then she disappears in the fog of smoke, and it's so oh. good. But you start out with her using her usual tactics, right? That's the first part of the reprise. And then when Rapunzel fights back, she now knows, okay, these old tactics aren't working anymore. I have to up my game. Now I have to turn this person that she met from being released from my grip so again you know she's released from the gaslighter grip and she finds new people and she discovers that these things might not be what they seem so now she what she has to do is she has to turn everything all the good things that Rapunzel has seen now against her to say I was right the whole time finally number 11 I'm so sad that this is ending because <laughs> I talk oh about it forever. Gosh, I'm just my brain is like blowing up <laughs> it's with so like good. realization. It's so it's good, insane. and yes. it, honestly, even if you've never seen Tangled, it's really good to know all these things about gaslighting. Again, mm-hmm. these types of things, this art is just—it's a teaching tool. You know, it's again, I'm using Tangled to teach about a bigger topic, a bigger mm-hmm. issue, a bigger psychological manipulation um, method. Um, so the last technique, the last method of a gaslighter, number 11, is they tell you that everyone else is a liar. So by telling you that everyone, like your family, the media, that, that they're all the liars, um, makes you question your reality. There's that key phrase. Um, and it makes people turn to the gaslighter for the correct information which isn't correct information at all. So, again, you know, if everyone else is lying, this must be the only person that I can trust. This must be the only person that I can get this information now. Um, And then at the very end of the movie, this doesn't, just little minor spoilers. Um, Again, if you haven't seen this movie yet. If you haven't seen it by now. If you've made it all the way here, like just turn this off and watch it. Um, Right. Uh, but Rapunzel starts to figure it out, you know, that very end where she realizes that she's a lost princess and then all of a sudden everything makes sense and Mother Gothel is trying to get her back, you know, like, oh, you know, like, I did what had to be done, he's a thief, he's a liar, and she's like, no, you're wrong, you know, you're wrong about the world, you're wrong about me, and I'll never let you use my hair again, and that's like her redemptive moment which then turns Mother Gothel to violence, which is a whole other category we're not even going to get into. Um, And then there's the climax, and then it's awesome and beautiful and amazing and a perfect conclusion, and it's just a great movie. Um, If... So, in... so, And I'll send you the link to this. Um, A lot of this was interpretive, but it was very inspired by... um, a combination of the Psychology Today article as well as um, Gaslighting Entangled, which is uh, the YouTube video from Cinema Therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will, I'll shoot you the link, and at the very end of the YouTube video, they have a kind of what can we do category, and I feel like this is important. I yes. don't yes. Have, the, have the time to talk about, you know, 
things that you can do if you're in a gaslighting situation. And honestly, if you think that you are, I would highly recommend like going to someone, getting help again, you know, getting people on your side, letting people know that type of thing. But, um, you know, if you do want to, or if you're curious, um, have access to things that you can do if you think you're being gaslighted, it's at the end of that video. Um, they kind of like will okay. break down, oh, what can we do when I think I'm being gaslit? So that is an awesome resource to yes, have for sure. Absolutely. It's just, it's fantastic. And that is just a scratch of the surface. This mm-hmm. is an example of film taking a specific psychological um, theme and kind of diving into that and actually making that the personality of the villain and the characters, which is amazing. So cool. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of. Uh, character development in in there that also follows along with uh, the general psychology of storytelling and writing in film too so that's just my summary my summation Sabrina thank you so much for this thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Amplify the Arts if you'd like to keep up with Sabrina you can find her on Instagram at Sabrina Kloss it's K-L-O-S-S and you can find us at Amplify the Arts and we'll see you next time